Hi, everyone. Welcome back to That's My Reading Podcast. I am so excited to have my next guest, Dave Sanderson, uh, tell his miraculous story. And I truly believe divine irony is what connected him and I, which we're going to dive into in a little bit. But first, I'd like to just share a little bit about Dave Sanderson. And truthfully, I love his bio so much that I just want to read some sections of it before he comes on. To say we are living in unprecedented times is a gigantic understatement. Dave Sanderson has seen and met many extraordinary people, from presidents to world champion athletes to Supreme Court justices to military leaders and people who have gone through horrific experiences. He survived and grew out of one of the, those moments in history. He was one of 155 people who faced a real plane crash called the Miracle on the Hudson. He had a unique experience to have a mentor who grew through and out of the Great Depression, world-known speaker and coach Tony Robbins, and someone who has become an authority on how to build the perfect plan, Don Barden. For 12 years, he has used these unique experiences to not only be a top producer for one of the largest technology companies in the world, in addition, built a business teaching and showing people how to get back on their plane after they face challenging times and turn their turmoil into triumph. His mission is to share these lessons and strategies he has learned and implemented over the past 12 years so people who are facing challenging times, those who may not know where their next paycheck is coming from, or if their business will be able to survive due to circumstances beyond their control, have a resource and strategy so they can get back on their plane and grow. Success does leave clues, moments do matter. You will never know which one of those moments in your life will change the course of your life. You will never know which one of those lessons or strategies will change the course of your life. But unless you take action and employ them, you may never grow from having your life derailed from no fault of your own. Life is a choice and you can choose to grow. You can decide to make this time of turmoil into a time of triumph. When you take action and learn those time-tested lessons, you can change the course of your life and your date with destiny. So there is a little bit more to this bio that I highly recommend reading the show notes, but I just wanted to share that. And now I'd like to introduce Dave Sanderson. Hi, and welcome to That's My Rennie Podcast. My name's Alicia Myronic, and I am your host and creator of this fun new concept. But first, what exactly is Myrony? Well, Myrony, or my irony, are those crazy coincidences that happen in life that you just can't explain. It's also another word for sign or synchronicity. We've all experienced these throughout our lives. But what if you started paying closer attention to your Myronies? What if? you started connecting the dots, or as I like to say, follow the spiritual breadcrumbs that could have an impact so big that it changes your life forever, not to mention the lives of others. Now that's my irony. Hi, Dave. Thank you so much for joining me on That's Myrony today. So we get to share our Myronic stories because I truly believe divine irony brought us together. 
Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to be with you, Alicia. Yeah, because, you know, I wanted to go into, um, as I mentioned, you know, I shared your a little bit of your bio um, before starting this. And, you know, it's such an incredible story that you have. But I am so amazed at, I love to say, um, I represent God in my logo, as you can see, uh, that's Winky, who I represent God is love with an awesome sense of humor. Because what I've discovered with Myrony, and again, Myrony are the crazy coincidences that happen in life that we can't explain. And it's another word for sign or synchronicity, but it actually has its own definition because it is synchronicity in motion. We may see a sign, but then there's an action that we can take. And when we truly tap into that, I actually say we can discover Myrony and our inner superpower. So I am just in awe of how I had the absolute privilege of hearing you speak at an event. Um, and so I wanted to go into how we're gonna give a little shout out to Amy Iden of our lunch group, because that's how we connected. But how did you um, get on uh, to be the speaker, which was on December 7th of uh, 2020. So we're now in, in, in January but of 2021. But um, how did you get to be a speaker for that event? Uh, well, thank you, Ashley. Yeah, I tell you, it's, it's really amazing how things come together. So I, once again, I didn't know Amy, very candid. I, knew, I didn't know Amy until midsummer. Um, and I had agreed to do an event for a gentleman named Sid. And so Sid has ha had me come on to his event. And Amy, being from the New Jersey area, and of course, that's where I went after the plane crash. I do a lot of things in New Jersey. So I'm very well connected in that area. So she, uh, I guess she was a part of that program. I guess she's listened in. It was a part of that program. And then heard me and asked me if I would speak at her Chamber of Commerce event. Oh, okay. But then she, I think she left the Chamber of Commerce and started her own engagement. And so then she asked me if I would speak at her new engagement. So I said, of course, you're trying to get it kicked off. I'd love to speak, be with you. And plus you're from that tri-state area and I got a lot of affinity for the people there. So, you know, that's how we got, got together. And then uh, you know, what happened was I still did the Chamber event that she came from and I also was able to support Amy. So yeah, I... I think a lot of Amy, she's doing a tremendous job of connecting people. This time we need to be connected. Well, okay, so we're gonna, we're really gonna go into your story and your, your background and everything. But again, this is crazy because, you know, I'm in San Jose, California now, but I'm actually from New Jersey. So I'm a Jersey girl, <laughs> true East Coaster at heart. And, but how I met Amy was through another networking group. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Jeff Pulver. Um, he actually was one of the co-founders. You know Jeff Pulver? I know who he is, yes. You know who he is? Okay, well, he's got a great networking group too called the Zulas. So maybe you'll be able to join, but that's how I met Amy. But the funniest thing is I didn't even talk to Amy. I didn't even have the opportunity to talk to her. But right at the end, Jeff Pulver talked to her because she was new to the group. And something in me was like, you need to talk to her. So then she actually connected with me. But it was, again, it was that intuitive pull where I was like, there's something here that I need to talk to her about. So I actually had the opportunity to talk to her on December 1st of uh, 2020, um, where, again, you spoke on December 7th. But why I bring those dates up is that nine years ago, my mom had just turned 70 on December 1st. 
And then December 7th was when she passed away. So the fact that I connected with Amy on that day and that she's like, oh, well, I'd love for you to join my, my networking group. And she was saying about you being the speaker and Miracle on the Hudson, how could I not want to hear this? And I was like, oh, great, when is it? She's like, December 7th. And I was like, what? You've gotta be kidding me. You know, like it was just, it, it just meant the world. I was like, oh my God, something is really miraculous is going to happen. So I just bring in the, the memory of my, of my mom and my dad, actually, because I got a little myronic surprise to share with you. And again, my last name's actually pronounced myronic. So, you know, it's okay. <laughs> Alicia myronic. It's, uh, you know, everyone has these myronic experiences. But yep. I, before we go into Miracle on the Hudson, you have such an interesting background where you say your mentor was from the Great Depression. So you, um, and then of course you were the, the head of security for Tony Robbins. So please share a little bit about where you first, you know, where you grew up, how you, who, how you got your mentor, who your mentor was. I grew up, uh, my first set of years was right outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. And I think small town, it was great for me because I lived in a small town where everybody knew everybody, but everybody had a standard likewise. And everybody held each other to that standard in that community. And one of the great things I, I sort of shared last summer and I reconnected with a lot of my friends was, yeah, I never knew anything about the social injustice stuff because everybody got along. Oh. I mean, black, white, yellow, brown, it didn't matter. Everybody was just the same in the little small town I grew up in. So some and of these where things- did, Where did I, you grow up in? This place called Hillsborough, Ohio, right outside of Cincinnati. It's a small town about 35, 40 miles east of Cincinnati. And so I, I you know, that's what was really sort of shocking because I was interacting with some of my friends last summer. Like, we never saw color when we grew up, right? That just, that's something that never came up. But then my dad got transferred to uh, Winchester, Virginia, which is right outside of Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. which is a whole different world. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different experience in Northern Virginia. And I was very blessed to grow up there, Kaylee, because it really opened my eyes to a lot of things. And I went to college at a place called James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And uh, I was a friend in the first international business major graduation class. So, you know, we sort of kicked off a new thing around being international because I really was always attracted to how business is done and how people do culturally around yeah. the world. Cause I really love to just connect with different cultures. But then when I graduated, my dad, Alicia gave me 30 days to get out of the house. He said, you got, you got, you got 30 <laughs> days to find a job. Oh, wow. And I tell people one of the great things I learned about my dad is my dad was a man of his word and 30 days came and 30 days went and I still didn't have a job in 1983. <laughs> So my dad uh, helped me get my first job, Kayla. He made a couple of phone calls and got me lined up with some interviews. And so my first real job was a place called Howard Johnson. I was an assistant uh, restaurant manager, food and beverage director. And I knew nothing about restaurants, but you know, I had to get out of the house. I mean, that was, that's what my dad said. So I, I didn't have a bed anymore. So I, uh, I started going. So my third stop was here in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I live right now. And you know, and I don't know if I'm sure some people have been going through the same kind of background, but, you know, when you're an assistant food and beverage director, you're second person, you're low on the totem poles. That means you're working second and third shifts. So. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. My degrees in hotel restaurant management. <laughs> yeah, it was a great learning experience. Right? I mean, you get to meet and learn a lot about business and culture, but, 
you know, fortunately for me, I had somebody who came into the restaurant with his wife. His name was Bill and her name was Bonnie every night. Uh, they'd have, you know, coffee and ice cream at Howard Johnson and we sit and talk <laughs> and, you know, and just, there's no big deal. But uh, all of a sudden, you know, what happened is I had, I found this girl that I was going to take her on a date and I had no money. So Bill threw me a couple of tickets to the movie theater. Aww. And he said, take your, take your girl to the movie theater and, you know, and tell me what you think about it. So, okay, cool. I mean, I'd have to pay for it, right? Free popcorn, free movies. It was great, right? <laughs> First day, you don't you have to come out of pocket, right? So we went to the movies and I got there and I gave the tickets in and the gentleman said, tell Mr. Bill, thank you. And hello. And I'm like, what? How's he know Bill, right? <laughs> so, you know, all of a sudden, next day I come back and I, Bill says, How's, how'd you do? I said, well, it was great. But some guy said to say hello to you. He goes, yeah, I own that movie theater. <gasps> And what I found out is Bill owned over the period of time, over 80 movie theaters and restaurants in the Carolinas. And his nickname was the Sam Walton of Charlotte, where you never know who this guy was because he he drove a pickup truck, wore a flannel shirt. And if you're from North Carolina, wearing a flannel shirt, driving a pickup truck, you're just a good old boy. (laughs) Bill owned 80 movie theaters and restaurants. So, So I started listening to Bill pretty closely, you know. Bill, uh, Bill had a lot of wisdom, but then it was December 23rd, 1984. And I was at the restaurant and it was, you know, two days before Christmas. And Bill came in that afternoon and said, let me come on. I want to show you why I got Bonnie for Christmas. Walked out to the parking lot and he got her a brand new blue Corvette. Ooh. And I'd never seen a Corvette. Couldn't spell Corvette. Never smelled a Corvette. <laughs> right. I mean, it was like, so he threw me the key. So let's go take a spin. And we got in the car. He said, just make sure you point this thing in the right direction. It's going to take off. So we go up and down this place called Woodlawn Road. It's right at the road outside of where the restaurant was. And come back. I said, Bill, man, Bonnie's, Bonnie's going to love this. And he looked at me and said, you need one of these. Oh. I said, Bill, I'm making $13,000 a year. I can barely pay the rent. He looked at me and said, that's your problem. That's your mindset. Mm. He said, can I teach you the mindset of success? And I, you know, I grew up, like I said, in small towns right. where you always respected your adults, <clears throat> elders and adults. Plus, I knew the guy had had been successful. So I said, sure, why not? Right. So for the next 14, 13, 14 years, Bill and I would sit down. And when I had a problem or I go to him, he'd share these lessons and these stories with me. Just share them with me. Right. I, I was learning all these things when I had a problem. I, we sit down and Bill would go through it with me and tell me a story. <laughs> well, fast forward to 1997. Mm-hmm. My mother had just passed away. My dad was a wreck. So my oh. sister and brother and I had to basically take care of all the arrangements because he, he couldn't even he couldn't even tie his shoes. Oh. So, you know, I, I was in business mode during the funeral. I was I was just I was just let's get this thing done. Right. So I get back and I'm pretty much of a mess now. Right. I, I haven't sort of processed it. So Bill called me up and said, come over to my office. I want to talk to you. So I go over to his office. He had a beautiful home place called Myers Park here in Charlotte open the doors up and he sits down he says listen wait a second so he walks over to this beautiful big desk he had a huge big desk mm-hmm. opens the drawer pulls these crumpled papers out and comes over and sits next to me he says I want to give this to you I said what is he goes these are the handwritten notes that my mentor gave me in 1929 <gasps> I want to give you this because this is what I've been teaching you this is what this is the lessons of success Aww. he looked at me and said but you got to promise me something I said, well, he goes, don't let it die with you. So Bill, Bill had lung cancer. 
Bill passed away September. This was April and September of that year he passed away. Oh, well, I, I have these notes, right? Mm -hmm. And so what do I do with them? I put them in a journal and I don't look at them. I don't look at them, you know, and all of a sudden, then a couple months later is when Tony Robbins asked me to be his assistant head of security. So, so I, how I, did, how did that happen? I'll, I'll get to that. Part okay. <laughs> but the part of the lesson is when one mentor passes, another one will come into your life. If you stay awake, yeah. you have to be willing to receive and give, right? I'll get to the, the story about Tony in a second. So what happened was, is, you know, for 20 years, I didn't look at these notes. Then look at them, right? They were stuck away until I was writing my second book, Moments Matter. And I was, I opened this journal and found these notes. Wow. Like, I'm like, what an idiot. <laughs> I had these notes. I have had gold mm -hmm. in my hands and I have done nothing with it. So I called my current mentor, whose name's Don Barden out of Atlanta. I called Don. I said, Don, let me share this with you. And he looked at me, he, he told me on the face, I listen, you weren't ready for it in 1997. You weren't ready mm -hmm. for it. Right. Because God doesn't give you the lesson until you're ready. Now you're ready. And that's how my new book's called God Gives You the Lesson When You're Ready. But that's how it came about because, you know, I wasn't ready for that lesson he gave oh, me. Wow. But, you know, I look back on this. This point is like, these, my, he, he spent so much time with me teaching me these lessons. That's what this book's about is, you know, these are these lessons from the early depression years where he was building a business wow. during a depression and world war and have a new wife and all i mean and he went through all the stuff that we're all going through right now oh my god right so back in so i'll go backwards now so in 1997 i was i was on tony robbins security team but i was just one of the guys until mm -hmm. so he asked me to be assistant at security and which meant basically i ran the team and somebody else ran him and the team Mm -hmm. So, you know, I started traveling with Tony a little bit, but then in 2000, he asked me if I would be the head of security, which means I managed the whole thing. So he wow. basically mentored me oh from 1997 God. until he still mentors me in some way. But he, so he was mentoring me and he was teaching me the distinctions of all these things that I learned. He was giving me these little insights and these little things that would just help me, right? In business and life. And so, you know, in 2009, here I am going through a plane crash. Wow. And the only person that calls me in the hospital is Tony Robbins. Oh my, my God. My company didn't call me. My boss didn't call me, but he did. Now I tell people, yes, he's got the resources to track people down. Yes. You know, he knows how to do it, but he, he was, you know, we talked that night and you can actually go out and see, if you go out to, to YouTube, he did a little four or five minute video about that conversation that night, mm -hmm. right after we got off the phone. You can actually see what we talked about. But one of the things he shared with me offline, we said, when you get to Los Angeles, call me. I want to sort of talk to you because a lot of your life's going to change. Mm -hmm. so I, I get to L.A. I'm doing all these TV shows out in L.A., these interviews. So I call him and I tell people it was an amazing three hours conversation because I got a doctorate <laughs> you know, on the mindset. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Three hours from Tony. Which is, <laughs> again, just just got another level from from, you know, from Bill. Right. Mm -hmm. And it just. It, just kept going. But so in 2014, one of the things that Tony would always ask me when I'd pick him up at the airport or help him, always, every time, why are you still working for that company? When you go work for yourself, you can never be free until you, you know, work for yourself. And, you know, I can only come up with so many excuses, right? Mm -hmm. You can only BS so much, right? <laughs> until somebody calls you on it, right? right? And so in 2014, basically I was called out, right? <laughs> so that's when I left and started my own business. And, um, 
you know, part of that was, you know, I wanted to you know, take this message, not only about the miracle on the Hudson, but how to, how to really have personal leadership, how to step it up when things hit the fan, right? How, how do you manage your mind through crisis? Right. Absolutely. Lead. So, so what happened was that I, all of a sudden I got this phone call out of the blue. This mm-hmm. was 2016 from mm-hmm. AARP magazine, Alicia. Okay. And I said, why do they want to talk to me? I mean, these are old farts, right? I'm not, I mean, I'm not old. How can, what can I tell somebody of over 50, right? How to, what do I have to impart? But they told me that there were two universities doing a study on me, but how I grew something called PTGS, called post-traumatic growth syndrome. How mm-hmm. do you grow from a traumatic life? It's the opposite of PTSD. Right. And they wanted, they were doing a study with me and they want to interview me on the strategies I used to grow instead mm-hmm. of, how many people going into PTSD or even worse? Yeah. So I did this interview and it really set me off in a different direction because I did a TED talk based on that uh, up in Canada. I actually so, listened to your TED talk and that's one of the myronies that's yeah. connected to. <laughs> well, yeah, I, you know, I was, I was, I was going to do a TED talk, and, but, you know, I had a subject that a lot of people wanted to hear about. And so I did this, right? And you only have 17 minutes, so you really got to cut it down, right? But so when last year came, Alicia, it was like, you know, I looked at this last year of turmoil. It's like a plane crash because nobody, when you go through a plane crash, it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. It just happens, right? Right. Just sort of like what COVID did and everything else. And we, I mean, you you didn't ask for COVID. I didn't ask for COVID, but it happens. Yep. And you got to deal with it. Yeah. And some people go this way and some people go this way. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, my whole mission right now is helping people with the strategies on how to turn their turmoil, all these things, because it's not just COVID. Right. You know, we had, we had all the social injustice questions and all by the way, we're still going through this stupid election thing. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean these things that just happened all in one time. So that's my mission right now. And uh, to help people you know, turn their turmoil into how they can really win out of it. Because I've done it. It's so funny because that's actually my mission in life too, is um, so didn't go through a plane crash, but um, going back to, let's just, I want to connect some dots that I like to call spiritual breadcrumbs is um, I mean, first off, you know, when I was doing, uh, I got to watch your Ted talk and it's absolutely incredible. Um, So everyone listening, definitely go see Dave's Ted talk. It was so inspiring. Um, but it's so crazy with what you just shared with your mentor, because my dad died of lung cancer and he never smoked a day in his life. And yeah. And it was very fast in 2004, like may thought he had the flu August 29th. He passed away. My story actually starts with how I discovered myrony. It all started when my dad became terminally ill and I was, now this is crazy. I was, born, engaged, and married in the same hospital in Dover, New Jersey, uh, because my dad was in hospice care in the hospital. And I wasn't engaged at the time. And my dad's younger sister, because I was like, I'm his only daughter. And so I decided to get married. I, I didn't get married just for him. However, every single sign from above was shown to me that day or not that day, that week leading up. Like the first dress I tried on was the dress of my dreams. The shoes were last pair of my size. Even the day before, which was August 21st, um, I ended up getting married on August 22nd. 
um, the day before, I usually say like on 821, I challenged God and on 822, God showed up because the day before it was torrential downpour, just sheets of rain. And everybody's like, what are you going to do? And I said, if there truly is a God, he will not take this away from my father. And at this time, I was a total universe girl. Like I had turned against God because of religion. Not that there's anything wrong with religion, but I put God in a box that I shouldn't have put in. And so, you know, that's part of my story of what I'm sharing. But it was so miraculous because I felt like I experienced, a, a, you know, a little miracle the next day because the next day there was not a drop of rain, not a cloud in the sky, no humidity, mid seventies on the East coast, you know, you're from, you've been, you know, East coast after a rain like that, no humidity, none, none. (laughs) It was the most, it was like, almost like the heavens opened up and light came shining down on us at times. Now I believe I was shown this day because my life was going to turn for the worst. Because less than a year later, there was a girl that um, decided she wanted, you know, she left her husband to be with mine. Uh, so my marriage fell apart in 11 months. But what was even worse is that I owned a restaurant with him, which here's the irony is the restaurant was called 821. Wow. And I ended up buying the restaurant on December 8th of that year, um, we, uh, which is funny because that's 821 backwards. So when I, when, wow. I, when I look at numbers, and I know you have some numbers that's going to connect to Miracle on the Hudson, that's why, one of the reasons why I'm bringing this up, because I believe, uh, you know, 12-8 was when my life, I was like, oh, you know, foreshadowing what's to come. I, it, it broke me, you know, this whole situation broke me. And then, you know, things on pawn things just kept happening over and over. It wasn't just one thing, you know, but um, I was ironically gifted a book that saved my life called Many Lives, Many Masters by Dr. Brian Weiss. I don't know if you've ever heard of the book or not. Why I say it was ironically gifted was my friend who took my wedding pictures the day before she moved away, gave me this book. And without this book, I would not have made it because what it did was it allowed me to look from that higher perspective of like our higher selves somehow choosing how we go through what we do in life. And I truly believe we go through what we do in life so that we can help others because how else can we understand unless we go through it ourselves? Mm -hmm. And so how I actually came up with my irony was years later, but I would always see these signs. I would always see these numbers. I'm like, what is this about? What is, what are these connections? I've actually discovered that my numbers, I believe my numbers are somehow connected to Bible verses. They're really beautiful. The numbers that, that stand out to me. And what I like to share with the listeners is that it's just pay attention to whatever it is that speaks and resonates with your heart and your soul. And so it was just, um, it was just so incredible how I was just given all these signs. And then when I used to be in sales, people would say, how do you say your last name? I said, it's like ironic with an M. And then I would add, there's a lot of irony in my life and people would laugh. And then one day it hit me. I was like, oh my goodness, this is a universal word for everybody, my irony. But take out the I, it's not about I, it's about we. And this is like a greater way of connecting God in this almost humorous way that it's not that God is doing these things. He's allowing us 
to have these things happen. You know, we're, we're not victims of anything that we go through if we can start looking at it from that perspective. So now I really would love to dive into that fateful day of uh, what January 15th, 2009, correct? When correct. your life and so many others changed forever because I did get to watch an incredible hour long documentary, which I was like, which the other irony is my dad was an airline pilot. He flew for American Airlines. So I actually know, you know, the airline business pretty. So when I heard how uh, the captain did what he did <laughs> to literally save is just so incredible. So please, I would love to hear, hear your story about this. Well, thank you. And thanks to your dad, because I have, I have a great appreciation only for pilots, but also crew. I think that uh, unfortunately they get, don't get enough credit, but that's another topic for another day. <laughs> um, I, and, I, and if you know my story, I wasn't supposed to be on the plane. And I think that's part of the irony of that day is I let's, let's start using the word myrony because this my, is, my, a, my, this my is a God inspired yep. event that happened. Yeah, I wasn't supposed to be on the plane. I was on the five o'clock flight. But that day started early in Brooklyn because we were in a distribution center and that one opened up at two o'clock in the morning and trucks start coming in the distribution centers around four or five o'clock in the morning. So if you're going to be there, you might as well be there with all the actions going on. So we got there right around five o'clock in the morning where normally you would start a day, you know, seven, eight o'clock, maybe nine o'clock, mm -hmm. depending on where you're at. So, so we started early that day. So we got down early that day because the trucks pretty well stop at nine o'clock. Mm -hmm. I mean, because they they're out on their, on their routes at that point in time. So, you know, now we're done and I can either sit around until five o'clock and get on an earlier flight. So I called the travel agent and said, hey, is there an earlier flight? She said, yeah, I'll get you on the, uh, on the two o'clock flight, which, you know, I said, great, put me on there, rush over to LaGuardia to get there, right? Get there early. Yeah. And, you know, but if you've been, you're from New Jersey, yeah, I flew out of LaGuardia, JFK, Newark, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if you're not from that area, just to, a point of reference is, you know, New York airports get backed up, yes. especially with weather, because it was 11 degrees and snowing that day. So with weather, I'm a seasoned traveler, that happens all the time. So mm -hmm. you just don't, you just go with the flow, right? It is what it is. So, you know, I, I gave up a first class seat to go to coach, but we're delayed, but that's no big deal. But I still boarded first because of my status. Mm -hmm. I was top, I was chairman. So that was no big deal. So I went back to, you know, my seat of 15 a mm -hmm. just, uh, just put my stuff down and didn't even think about it. I was like, okay, you know, let's go. Right. right. Pull the magazine out, started reading. I did exactly what it every single time. <laughs> and I didn't pay attention. Right. Cause I know everything. Right. I'm a mm -hmm. seasoned traveler. I know right. everything, but if, you know, so if something happens, piece of cake. So that's uh, didn't pay attention. So, but nothing unusual. And if you've been out of LaGuardia, you know, the runway goes out into the bay and the, the flight patterns, usually you go north and then you start making turns. So right. been there, done that, no big deal until you hear an explosion. And then wow. it's like, okay, now you got my attention. Right? <laughs> I haven't heard an explosion on a plane and especially explosion in New York in a plane. Right. right. It's like, all right. So you're looking around a little bit, you see fire coming out from the left wing. I saw I had a, I was right, you know, four rows behind the wings. So I had a bird's eye. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, yeah, okay. That, that's funny that's when we why. share why that's a funny yeah. statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and when the bird's here, right? But, you know, I have to tell people, I think one of the, th the things where I think God really entered that plane for that at that moment is because 
when that explosion hit, I truly believe in my heart, and I talk to other passengers, I think most of the passengers I've talked to have a similar feeling, is if, if, if we would have heard, if I would have heard boom, boom, mm-hmm. I, <clears throat> now you're thinking bombs, you're thinking oh. all these things are going through your head. But we all just heard one boom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now that we know that the birds not only struck the left side of the plane, but they simultaneously struck the right side of the plane, the same exact second. Oh my God. I, I have such what, goosebumps. Oh God, as I'm, we're talking another about one. birds. Another, one. another bird reference. Um, but yeah, I think, because I really believe if you would have heard multiple booms, it, you start it's, having panic. Yeah. I think at that point, people thought, okay, you know, you felt the plane banking, you're going back to the airport, right? All right, we're not getting home early. So, but it is <laughs> what it is, right? So uh, nobody thought, I, that's why I think no one was losing at that point because. You know, you just, you got fire command one, we got another engine, right? Right. Until you don't have another engine. Wow. Right? Until you're all of a sudden, you know, banking and you're not banking to go to the airport, but you're banking going a different way. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're seeing the skyline of Manhattan right up there. It's like, wow, I've never seen this up close. And you, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden you're just like, I've never seen a bridge like that in my life coming this close. And that's when the captain said his famous words, this is your captain brace for impact. And that's the moment. I knew, and I think everybody else knew, I definitely knew that something's up. This is not good. This because where are you going to go, right? Where are you going to go? Wow. And if you, know that, if you know the geography or topology of that area, and yes, it came out later, he had four choices to make. Mm-hmm. First choice was he could go back to the airport. Right. Probably wasn't going to get back there. Right. Didn't have enough, enough uh, you know, you know, lift on the plane. Right. Second was he could have gone into the ocean. And nobody rescued it. Not very good option. Pretty rough water out there. Right. Or you could have gone to Teterboro, right? Yep. It's there, but there's a lot of big buildings in New Jersey, right? And if you would have clipped one of them, game yep. over. Now you have one option. You're down to one choice, which is the river. Mm-hmm. And so, and, but the river has got ice in it because, you know, it's frozen over at this time of year, right? And, you know, it just happened. He hit it at a perfect time because, you know, if the boats would have been running, you know, then he wouldn't even have the river. And he hit it right before the boats. It was, I think it was 337 was the exact time, I think. Uh-huh. The boats gear up and run at four o'clock because when they start making their runs. Oh, wow. So, you know, 30 or 30 minutes later, the boats are running. So then you, didn't even, you wouldn't even have the river. So I think, you know, part one, he, the captain did a fabulous job getting that plane down, right? I mean, it was, because he cleared the bridge by 400 feet, you know, yeah. when we cleared the bridge. I know, we, the George Washington Bridge, where we're, we're talking, you know, for, yep. for the listeners, the George Washington Bridge, he cleared by yep. 400 feet. Yeah, the bridge is 600 feet up. He were 1,000 feet at that point in time in descending. So he, he clipped it around about 400 feet at the clearance. And so that, which is not that much. No. Because when I looked out the window, looked down, people, you could see the faces of people looking up through their windshield. That's, that's how close we were. So you knew, I knew we were close, but then that's when, you know, the only thing you go is you go into the water and Canley, the only thing that I remember of a water landing is it ain't going to turn out very good. This mm. is, this is probably, this is probably it. So, you know, but I give him all the credit. He got the plane in. That's part one, Alicia. Part two is now we're in the river, plane sinking. How are we going to get out? Well, and I just want to, I just want to, for the listeners that don't know the story, and again, everybody go listen to Dave's TED Talk, 
But it's so incredible because this pilot, he, or the captain, he was, and um, I'm, so I'm drawing, I know he goes by Sully, but Captain Solenberg, is that correct? Yes. Captain Solenberg, he, his quick thinking was like, it was like six minutes to LaGuardia, back to LaGuardia, six minutes to Tiabor, because as Dave, as you mentioned, you know, you didn't, you weren't in the air for nearly long enough to have the altitude. And so his quick decision to, you know, go into the Hudson thinking that that's the only place to land um, this Airbus, which is really crazy because that was my dad. He was the captain of an Airbus also. Wow. Wow. <laughs> no, we got, we got a lot of ironies connected around wow. this in like so many ways. But then it was, he was, um, the documentary that I was listening regarding this is that, you know, like figuring out what angle to land, you know, to land in the water so that it wouldn't break the plane or, you know, like, I mean, it truly is such a miracle, but apparently when they landed, he, he looked to his co-pilot and said, well, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't bad up front. You know. Now, now it's like, okay, great. We got a plane in the Hudson and now, now we're going to go into what's really going on from yeah, that point. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, he hit it perfectly, right? Backside, front side, shifted, so it slowed it down by shifting. Yes, it was a technical a miracle on how he, he put the plane in the river. Yeah. And though, once he hit, the backside hit, you know, there's metal coming up underneath, so water's coming in immediately. Yeah, I heard so, that it was because they weren't able to get to the protocol of ditching. Yeah, they were yep. trying to go through the co-pilot was going through all the checklists and, <laughs> you know, and the last yep. one is this ditching. And so ditching is to close all the what vents to prevent water. So now water is flooding in. That's right. It's and you're water, 36 degree water. And where, <clears throat> where, excuse me, where I was at 15A, water was from about ankle to knee deep <clears throat> immediately. Wow. Back of the plane, it was about waist deep immediately. Front of the plane, that's <gasps> the front of the plane went in last. It was about about shoe level, okay. level. So it depends on where you were on the plane on the, what experience you have with water. The back of the plane definitely got hit worse with water. Yeah. Because the one picture that you've probably seen and most people remember is one from the front where people started getting on the wings. Yes. But the picture I have in my book, it shows it from the side where the back is already underneath water. Mm -hmm. Wow. So now you got to get out. So get part one, yay, yay team, we got down. <laughs> part two is when the game really starts. Because mm -hmm. now you got to get out. And if you get out, how are you going to get out? Because if you look at the Airbus back, back in 2009, look at the little card, which no one ever reads, it says, do not get on the wings, right? Right. Right? So, but where are you going to go? Right, you have so no I option. Well, yeah, I, I tell, I said some of this last week because the anniversary was last week. I did said during an interview, Alicia, I said, one of the things that really amazed me that night, later that night, is that I did an interview, did a lot of interviews, but this, this interview with CBS in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And the question the gentleman asked me was, was it really women and children first? And I oh. said, no. <laughs> he sort of looked at me like, you know what? I was like, no, the first two guys on the, the doors were guys. And I said, thank God they can lift a 40 pound door underwater getting it out. I said, not that a woman can do it, but I'm glad they could do it. Mm -hmm. Right. And they got out and helped people out on the wing. So, you know, people, I, I tell people, it's, you're, you're, you're in the, the seat you're supposed to be in, right? Mm -hmm. the, you're in the right. 
God put people in the seats on those certain seats that day for a reason and a purpose. I believe. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I, not that two women couldn't get that door out, but right. it was, but two guys who can lift 42 pound door with water pressure coming at it after a plane crash. I tell people, I said, I just, I'm glad those two guys got the door out. Cause if they don't, now you're down to two exits instead of four exits. Right. So, so, wow. so now, so now they get the doors out and people are starting to go out. Now I, the term I used that night was, you know, control chaos, mm-hmm. you know, because no one was losing it. No one was jumping on people's backs or, but things were moving extremely quickly, right? It's time to get out because water is coming in very rapidly. Right. And, you know, you know, people ask me, I, one of the most often asked questions I used to get, I get it a little bit now is how do people get out so quickly? Well, what happened was if people got very resourceful and jumped on top of the seats and walked down the seats to get out the doors, in addition to the aisle, I said, ah. that was a great lesson for me about resourcefulness. Yeah. Stay awake. You stay aware. Choices do open up. Right. You know, I would never thought of getting on top of the seat. My yeah. game plan was aisle up out. I just kept saying, aisle up out, aisle up out, aisle up out. That way I had it in my head. I knew my game plan, right? But when I got to the aisle, that's when everything changed that day for me. That was, that was the moment that things shifted for me. Mm-hmm. Because when I got to the aisle, it was my time to get out. And then I heard my mom, who had passed away in 1997, like I mentioned, mm-hmm. start talking to me. And what I heard in my head is something she said when I was a kid. It was, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. Aww. And I tell people, after I thought about that, much many years later is one of the great things about my mother was she never really told me what to do she made me make a choice and make a decision but she also taught me that choices and decisions have consequences yes so positive or negative every time you decide something's got a positive or negative consequence so instead of going out i climbed over the seats to go towards the back of the plane see if anybody needed help because i knew that i was okay i can Mm -hmm. handle myself but in the back of the plane it's a little crazy Right, I mean, right. it's just like, just level water, and usually I'm not I'm I'm stereotyping now. Mm-hmm. But usually people who are in the back of the plane don't fly as often. Right. They're not, they're yeah. Not, so I'm just so I went back to the plane, but things were moving, so I just got behind everybody else. I started moving with them, and you know, on the back of the plane, since it was the first hit, is when the bins broke open, luggage is flying out, luggage is floating up, right? Water's about chest level deep, so you're just trying to get out, and it's dark. Because yeah. it's underwater. Oh my God. So I look for light. My, my, my light was a like, first light, I'm out of here. So the first light that I saw was on the right side, it was 10F. And I'm like, I'm out of here. But then all of a sudden, I'm getting out and I look out and there's no room on the wing or the boat. It was already filled up. Oh, but wow. people are already being rescued. And I was like, that's, that's part of the miracle. It's like two or three minutes later, all of a sudden, people are already being rescued in a river after a plane crash. But I couldn't get out of the plane because there's no place for me to go oh wow that's how i became the last passenger on the plane waist deep in the water holding on to the lifeboat because as you know being from jersey and for <laughs> folks who are not from that area the hudson river's got extremely fast current mm-hmm. and the plane actually floated down the river about a half a mile in 24 minutes so as the plane was floating down the river that little lifeboat was floating out into the river wow so they kept screaming hold on hold on and that's why i was holding on this lifeboat seven minutes you know and there's a picture i didn't know this until i was on good morning america the first picture that good morning america showed was me hanging out of the plane and waist deep in the water wow and i still got this picture and i show this picture when i speak because 
I became, I've written some articles about that because that's what happens a lot of time when people go through crisis. You're halfway in, halfway out. Which way do you go? Do you regress <laughs> or you go out? Yeah. Right. You're, you're in the doorway, right? You're stuck in the doorway, right? Yeah. And your whole destiny is on that one choice. Do I go out or do I go back? Yeah. So seven minutes I hung out, you know, I was holding on the lifeboat. People were trying to get, you know, walking down the wing. It was a lot of chaos, and, but the plane shifted. And mm. I didn't know until I got much later, probably a couple months later, why it shifted is because the one of the tugboats as part of the rescue hit the front of the plane, shook the plane. And when it shook the plane, I felt water going up on my back. And all of a sudden I'm thinking Titanic, this sucker's going down. It's going down now. Oh. And all I can remember is when that boat tipped up and Titanic, everybody in it went to the bottom. Right. Yeah. Like, do not be stuck in a plane. Do not go to the bottom of the river in a plane. I mean, this is, that'd be game over. Right. That would be over. Right. So that's what I, I thank mom and dad because they, they gave me swimming lessons. And I jumped in and started swimming to get, get away from the plane. Wow. And I was long 10 yards swimming my life because that's how about probably how long the wing is. But the water is not only 36 degrees. I'm fully clothed. I've been yeah. in the water now for over seven minutes and there's jet fuel. Oh. That's why I got glasses because I got jet fuel in my eyes. Wow. Swim. So that's how I got out. But now, what do I do now? I get to the I get to the ferry and then you on the climb. I mean, you up can't. I can't climb. And then I heard my mom again because the word she hated most of life was can't. I mean, <laughs> you grew up in my house. You said, I can't to my mom. She said, if you can't do it, you're going to do it. She wouldn't buy that word. And I thought that was her worldview was you, can't is not an option. Not an yeah. option. So I got one arm up and the other arm up and somebody, these two guys pulled me and I'm not, I'm not a small guy, right? but threw me over the side and wow. now I'm on the ferry. Now they get, you know, get up, get up. I was like, got inside. I was like, I did make it. Wow. And I did, Cause that was my moment. That was my moment because now, you know, I tell people the, the groups I love speaking for the most are first responders because they get it. You, know, you see these firemen, these policemen, and these military guys, they're going head first in, man. They got it. Mm-hmm. But then you see them on the side of the curb with their equipment and they got nothing left because they've given it all the field. Yeah. And that's what happened to me. You know, I went, I had adrenaline going, right? I, I was focused. But you let your guard down a little bit and you've been in the water. Yeah. And now it's 11 degree here temperature. And I wow. can barely breathe. That was well, my moment. I said, this is, I'm going to die this way. I'm going <laughs> to die this way. Right. Unfortunately, somebody put an iPhone up and, you know, I got a message out to my family that I've been in a plane crash. Wow. That's all I could get out. That's how, that's how close it was. There were, there were a couple of points that was really close for me. The other time was when I was in, sitting in the, uh, in the Weehawk in, in the, uh, in the triage center, when the guy puts the tag on my foot. Oh walks away. my God, and, really? And I, I grew up in the seventies and I can tell people a TV show was MASH and yeah. you watch MASH and you saw somebody's t- no tag. That's it. Wow. And I thought, I said, I, I thought when I had the tag on my foot, I'm like, I, I've already died. I said, this is ghost. Right. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm dead and I'm watching myself die. Oh. It, I'm done. I didn't, I didn't make it. Wow. And then, then Heather took my blood pressure and 90 over 120. And then she goes, you got to go now, man. You got to go stat. Because you're going to have a heart attack or stroke. She's because I my, I mean, it was just going crazy. My body was going crazy. So that's when they started wheeling me out. That's when things started really moving fast for me. But 
Yeah, I mean, there were two or three points in there and I got to the hospital. My temperature was, you know, 94 with hypothermia and my oxygen level was plummeting at 75 and going down. I had no oxygen in my body. Oh. So, I mean, it was like, people don't understand what really goes on behind the curtain, right? Right. And all stuff's breaking loose, right? Uh, you made it. Well, nothing in life is that simple, right? <laughs> No, and unfortunately, I had a great doctor, my nurse Bautista, who's my angel, stayed with me. But yeah, I was I was going down pretty quick. You know, I didn't know that, of course, later, right? That when they were starting to say these numbers, Alicia, and I didn't know what the numbers meant, but I did know that 94 wasn't very good temperature. I knew that. And it was going down. And so were you the one in the water the longest because of the situation? Because I know I heard people jump in the water, but it sounds like you were really the one... I, I can't, I don't know if I was the longest. I know there's a couple of people who start swimming towards the shore, you know, um, because they, they want to get away from the plane because they thought the plane was going down. Oh. Right? They start swimming. So I know there's a lady and my buddy Barry were swimming, but they both got on on the ferry pretty quickly. But I don't know. I on I was in the water basically waist deep for seven minutes and then swimming, you know. So I had, well, um, I had my experience. No, it's just, I mean, yeah, talk about a miracle on so many different levels. I mean, the, I will say the irony that you were moved from first class to 15A, and this happened on January 15th, you know, like, obviously, that resonated with you, um, you know, as part with your story. And then, you know, to hear your mom, and, you know, it's so incredible that people, you know, when we are put in these crises, you know, how we do I mean, I truly believe we receive guidance, you know, from above as, as you do too, you know, like one of my sayings is, you know, step aside and let God guide, however that is meant to be. And to be hearing those messages, you know, from your mom at that moment to keep you, you know, moving in the direction you're meant to, to move in so that you could come out of this. I mean, well, that, that, yeah, that's, that's part of, I, I wrote a chapter in this book It's actually be the first chapter of my next book. Likewise, I really tell them my thoughts and my my belief what really happened because I really believe my mom was sitting there next to God and she was, you know, his left hand. And this was my test. Yeah. I think this was my test and everything that I learned and she, she taught me, Bill taught me it was coming. I mean, cause everything came together at that moment. Right. I was tested on so many different levels. And I truly believe that she was giving me that test at that moment. It's like, okay, here you, ha- here you are. Right. Wow. This is one of the most challenging situations that somebody can be put in. Yeah. Yeah. What, have you? What? What? How are you going to respond? What? How are you going to respond in your defining moment, right? And that's how. That's that's how I ended up my last book, and that's how I'm starting my next book. Well, that's. I mean, I can't wait to to read your books, but it's also. Um, have you seen the new series on Netflix called Surviving Death? There's one. I've seen it. My my, my daughters are watching it. I have, I have not watched it yet though. It's really the one with the near death experiences is so powerful. I think it'll resonate so much, but it's just, it's, it's, I, I find it very interesting that when a lot of times when people are in these, you know, near death experiences, there is a level of calmness, but then it is, if you allow yourself to be guided, um, you know, rather than our brain taking over and panicking and all that. But they, it was so interesting to hear, like so many people receive this calmness, but then it's like, you know, this is not your time. But now you, yes, you got to go through the recovery of what you actually went through. 
So, so the recovery after all that, like, um, like what was, what did you have to go through to be able to recover? Well, I will shift off the medical recovery because that, that happened, you know, I was being taken care of and yes, it was, there's a lot of things going on that, but this is really the message, at least I'm really trying to write and talk about is because, you know, it wasn't just, you come home and everything is back to normal. Right. Right. It doesn't, I got back home and I still didn't know if my company knew I'd been in a plane crash because no one called me or they didn't call my wife. They didn't call my kids. So I went by the office. I had these sweats on because they, that's all I gave. I gave me some sweats to work. I had no clothes. Right. I lost, I lost everything except my watch. I lost everything. Wow. So I show up at the office and I just tell, I went up to my regional manager. I said, I, so let's know I'm here. I'm okay. And the first question he asked me was, you're going to Michigan next week, right? And what? it wasn't like, are you okay? Can we do anything for you? Do you need to take some time off? It was, and I tell people, I look back on that, looking at it from his perspective, right? Mm-hmm. 2009 tough year i was a top sales guy right i had a top things going you're going to be able to do it right right put somebody else in there and then i would have lost a sale so I, so i actually went to michigan but i said that was sort of the first moment i thought you know what's going on right right and then i had had media following me every place i was going mm. and oh by the way you know, I lost everything on my computer and everything. So I, I, I couldn't do anything that way. I lost my phone. I hadn't, I mean, I starting from scratch again. Wow. I tell people, I said, uh, you know, yes, I, I had, I was media, all this and that, but I still had to do my job. Mm-hmm. I had, I had to start mentally recouping. Mm-hmm. I was going emotionally recouping. Right. I was, and I was getting approached by, by everybody in the world. I didn't have anybody to help me at this point in time. It was, it was just me. Wow. You know, and I was, and that was overwhelming, and likewise. And you know, I I, I still had a security for Tony, mm-hmm. right? So I was he had an event coming up in New Jersey eight weeks later, and I was I, I sort of had to get my head around that. Likewise, so you so were was, doing you were doing the sales position, and you were also still head of security for Tony. Oh my goodness! Correct. Wow. Yeah, I was still doing that, and so you know, and all this stuff was going on. So. You know, and I was trying to process everything at the same time. I had no time off, right? Yeah. Even though I, I think technically I could have called HR and said, you know what, I need some time off. And I would have got the thumbs up on that. I probably could have done that, but I didn't. But then what happened was about six, seven weeks later, Alicia, which really started shifting some things is one of my clients, I don't know if you remember the plane crash in Buffalo, the Calm Air. I had a client on that plane. Oh, wow. Died. Oh, and so that there are two things that really came out of that experience. Number one, whenever there's a plane crash, I usually get called to do an interview. Mm-hmm. Still do, still do. Yeah. When that happened, and since she was from Charlotte, I got I did an interview in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, one of the questions the interviewer asked me was, "Why do you think she died and you didn't?" Wow. And I was like, I was stunned. I wasn't ready for that, right? And I said, it just wasn't my time. It mm-hmm. just wasn't my time, right? I, I can't explain other things. Right. But the real second part of that was when I had to go back to that client. And then they looked at me and I was alive. And I'm still going through what I was going through. And they just lost their vice president of sales, wow. right? And I mean, 
it was an extremely emotional meeting because I'm still processing everything. I'm trying to help them understand what goes on. Right. And, but they just lost one of their executives. Right. Wow. So there's, uh, this is what my next book's going to be around because, you know, there's so many roller coaster moments. Mm-hmm. It's not just, you're on top of the world. I survived a plane crash. Yay. Right. Right. There's so many things that go on. And, and, you know, when things started really coming together, you know, uh, is, and I tell this story because it was my minister who had never heard me speak outside the church. And he heard me speak inside the church plenty of times. And that's a different experience, but he never heard me speak outside in the corporate world. Right. And so I got invited to keynote 9-11 services. Oh, wow. Now, you being up where you're at in New Jersey, where you were in New Jersey, it's a big deal. Yeah. My dad actually, he retired before 9-11, but he had had friends that went down because the planes that were involved and and it was just, yeah, yeah, it's a, that is a huge, huge it's a big deal, deal in that area. So, you know, not only do you have local dignitaries, you have military, you have law enforcement, you have uh, 300 of these dignitaries, right? And you're keynoting. Wow. And you're on camera, right? So I, I, I told Reverend Kenny, he's now Bishop, you know, I told him, I said, come out and watch, come out to this one, because this going to be different. I'm not going to go really the spiritual side of this. I'm going to really talk about gratitude and, and that. So he heard me speak. And Alicia, we were walking back to my car and he looked at me and said, you know, he says, we were both raised in the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. He said, in the Christian faith, and especially Methodism, but Christian faith, you're baptized into the faith one time. Mm-hmm. But he said, as, as I was listening to you speak, it was like you went into the water and you came out and every, the heavens opened up and gave you a new mission. Yeah. He said, he said I, I, I realized it was like you were almost rebaptized. Oh. Because you came out of the water, a whole different person. And I started thinking about that. I think that's what happens a lot of times. Yeah. When you give it up, give it up and say, you know what? I can't explain it, but I, I am here. You give it up to God, give it up to Jesus, wherever you believe, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like you're rebaptized. Yeah. And I think a lot of people right now, I think when they're going to go through their turmoil, they'll realize there is light, right? Mm-hmm. But you have to stay awake. Yeah. And that's the one thing I've seen people now is, you know, what, what, I don't know what you believe. I don't know what a lot of people are listening believe, but you know, Jesus was in the garden before his fateful night. Mm-hmm. He asked one thing of his disciples, stay awake, stay yeah. awake. And they could stay awake. Yeah. What happened? Now it's probably going to happen anyway. Right. Right. But they couldn't stay awake. He asked him one thing to do. And that's the, that's the lesson for everybody. You stay awake, right? Things, mm-hmm. things will happen. And you just sleep shut yourself off. Well, and also just trusting. I mean, that's why I say it's the divine design that interweaves us together and, you know, divine timing too. you know, God. And I mean, I, I, I look at things a little bit different with, with God and Jesus, where I believe God, the Bible, Jesus, but I also incorporate a little bit more in that, you know, there, there, there's things that we may still not be able to understand. And, you know, like, I love your, uh, your mission of sharing from the PTGS post-traumatic, post-traumatic growth strategy right. is that syndrome. I'm sorry, post wait post-traumatic growth syndrome instead of PTSD PTGS. And I like I absolutely love that because I I actually in a in a much smaller scale reflect to that PTGS because 
I had lost my dad. I had lost, um, I had gone through this traumatic thing with, you know, losing my husband, even though that, you know, like with my restaurant, having to be always in action, like I couldn't ever deal with any of the things that I was dealing with. Plus I had fibromyalgia. I then, you know, I lost my mom. I went through alcohol abuse. I had to deal with prescription drug addiction because of some of this pain that I was going through. 2009 was not a good year for myself either. And I mean, just going down roller coasters, talk about roller coasters, but you know, not trying to compare it all with what you experienced with, you know, with truly experiencing this miracle. But I discovered such a higher level of connection to God through all this. Again, I was a total universe girl and I was, I was actually given messages, I believe from the other side through my father. And he actually told me, he's like, you need to believe in the Holy family. And I was like, what do you mean I need to believe in the Holy family? You know, and, and actually the message he gave me, it's like Taoism with the Holy family of the, you know, the Bible and everything, but like incorporating, maybe just looking at it a little bit differently, but that's what connected me back to Jesus and what connected me back to God and looking at what truly the messages are that are, you know, have been out there for us to listen to. And then I had a very spiritual experience back five years ago. I've, I've been sharing this on other podcasts, but I had an experience that literally transformed me. And so like your experience that transformed you, I'm trying in the same way, trying to share this mission of that. We go through what we go through to learn these lessons. And I love your, your new book that's come out where God gives you lessons when you are ready. And, you know, that whole thing, when people say, Um, You know, God never gives you too much than what you can handle, but we do have to have the strength within ourselves to, to be able to handle it. You know, like we got to, we, we just have to find that faith and being able to push forward. And so the message that you have to give and share and have to say, you are such a tremendous, um, incredible speaker. Like your Ted talk was just so inspiring. But I want to share with you the irony of that. So I, I listened to your TED talk, and then I noticed it's in Queens, Queens University. That's correct. That's where my dad went to school. Really? <laughs> Up in Canada. Yep. Both my parents were Canadian. And I actually was at Queen. I visited wow. Queens University before he joined the Canadian Air Force. Or he, he went to Queens University before he joined the Canadian Air Force. And one of the times I was up there, we went to Queens University and I was like, wow, you got to be kidding me. See, that was the my that was definitely the big, really big ironic surprise. Like, what are the odds? What are the odds of that? And and plus, plus it's it's a cold, cold place in the middle of winter. I know that. Right. Right On the lake. And for, for, yeah, for our listeners, that's in Kingston, Kingston, Ontario. And so Dave, you and I, we connected. So I just want to show the level of the divine that God has brought into this conversation of that we met in a networking group in New Jersey, which again, I'm from. You live in North Carolina. I'm in San Jose. 
and you know the 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 connection with you know my dad being a pilot your mentor having lung cancer my dad having lung cancer and then your ted talk was in the i mean i just i i can't get over it and it was on the anniversary of my mom's passing that i met you that i was you know guided i truly believe guided to meet you so we could have this conversation. You were supposed to be there that day. Absolutely. You were supposed to be there that day. Absolutely. Yeah. But the thing is, just is like that- like I tell people, I was supposed to be there that day on the phone. Exactly. That's exactly it. We were meant to be so. there on those specific dates and, and, you know, going through our lives. And, you know, that's one of the things with the listeners is like, pay attention to those points and pay attention to those intuitive pulls because that's what will help guide you. Because how, how easy could it have been like, oh, I'll join another networking event or, you know, like whatever, you know, like when a door opens, we have to walk through for those things to happen in some cases too. So I'm just, <laughs> I am just so blown away by the conversation we, we got to have today. Um, I, yeah, I'm a little speechless. <laughs> I am speechless. I, and I, I truly believe, yeah. Well, I truly believe that you were supposed to be on there. You were supposed to be on that call for a reason. And one of the things that I believe is the reason I do a lot of these kind of calls like that, and yes, they're not profitable, right? I mean, there's, it takes time to prepare and everything. But my mission is if I can find just one person that I can touch, right? Yeah. Not literally touch, but touch no, emotionally. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it, I've done my job for that day. And mm -hmm. that's why, you know, I, I've got a mission now to find eight people where I really want to teach these things too. Because I, I, so I, I promised, promised Bill I would not let it die with me, but I want to find eight people that want to spend the next year with me so I can go deep and really teach this. Because once they get it and then they can take it out to other people, yeah. then we can, impact, we can impact the bigger world. So I just want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to hopefully fi help find eight people that I, I can teach this to. Because that's my mission this year. Yeah, I want to find eight who I can go deep, teach what Bill taught me, teach what Tony taught me, so they can then take it out and teach other people. Absolutely, this is the way we I can impact the world and change change people's mindsets. And instead of being going through misery and and challenges, they can they can grow and be triumphant. And um, you know, God, I think God wants everybody to have a fruitful life. Mm -hmm. But like you said, you have to stay awake. And it's our choice. Yep, absolutely, you know, it's our choice. Well, uh, the, I actually, choice. I actually just applied to Ted Global to share about my journey. So I'm hoping to be given that opportunity and be able to. I'll say a, I'll say a prayer for you. I yes. Know it's how difficult it is. Yes, please do, please do. But again, that myrony of you speaking. I mean, like I just again, listeners, think about how many TEDx talks are around the world. What are the odds? that your talk when you live in North Carolina was going to take you to Kingston, Ontario to speak at Queens University. That was, yeah. you know, what's really funny is that in your talk, you don't even see the Queens University till like way at the end. So I'm like, you know, I'm just yeah. watching. I was like, and it just says Queens U. And I was like, oh, that's funny. My dad went to Queens University. I'm like, so I look up TEDx Queens U and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And that's where yeah. in this little logo of Myrony with Winky of God, that's God winking, cheering us on, being like, yay, you two connected, got to share this incredible story. 
So I just want to, um, you know, recap with the listeners regarding your book, uh, your books, Moments Matters, and God gives you the lessons when you are ready. And um, I just want to, like, how can people connect with you, um, especially since you're looking for those eight people to be able to share these lessons? So I'm, my website's probably the first stop at davesandersonspeaks.com. But as you are finding out, I put a lot of, a lot of this content and tidbits out on LinkedIn. Because yeah. I really want to get this message out. And I just do these little, little drops like I did today. Every couple of days, I'll put something out there. So LinkedIn is David Sanderson. Um, just check me out there because that's where I'll put, put I'll write articles and write blogs and do insights. So I want people who could hear say, you know what, that triggers with me, like it did with you, it triggers with me, who can reach out to me and say, you know, let's have a conversation. Like I said, I'm looking for the right eight people. I don't want somebody just to get in, just to use. I want some people to give. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, so yeah, so thank you very much. So those are probably the two best ways to connect with me. Uh, Alicia, thank you so much for allowing me to do that. Oh, well, thank you, Dave. This has just been such an honor, such a pleasure. I mean, I feel so blessed to have had this conversation with you. And I know uh, I, I God and I believe our parents are like smiling down, you know, it, it, through all this, because the guidance that you received from your mom, the guidance that I've received from my parents and they, since they've passed and all the, the beautiful divine myronies that connected to us. So thank you so much. Thank and you very much. This has just been so wonderful. (laughs) Okay. And to that's my Rooney listeners. I'll see you next time. Thank you all for joining me on that's my Rooney podcast. I hope you enjoyed the myronic stories shared today and possibly got you to connect to the myronies in your own life. As you listen to this podcast, you'll start catching signs that are so subtle but can have the biggest impact on your life. So pay attention to that inner voice and watch the myronies appear in your life, just like the guests in my next episode. And please connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and that'smyrony.com where you can share your unbelievable myronies. Also, if you enjoyed what you heard and can take a moment to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting platform, it would mean so much because that is how others are able to find this podcast. Finally, please also tell your friends and family about Myrony because wouldn't it be fun to see people share their Myronies on social media in addition to their selfies? And remember, if something happens that makes you say, well, that's ironic, it's not ironic at all. It's Myronic. Now that's Myrony. See you next time.